Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public. On appointment-only basis, she offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course. WiseWomanSchool.com. You can also just go to her website, SusanWeed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hello, Susan. How are you this evening? I am doing very well. We had a pretty little snowfall. Once again, the predictors got everybody all geared up for a huge uh, 
blast of snow, and it was very windy. As a matter of fact, the wind broke the window in my room. It rattled wow. it right out of its frame and broke the glass. Oh, wow. So it was quite windy, but we only got about six inches of snow. Maybe for you out there, that six inches sounds like a lot, but for us, it's just for January, it's <laughs> not much. There's lots of rain so out we were here, happy you know? with it. It's easy to shovel, easy to deal with. I remember mm-hmm. one spring, and we used to start having classes here in April, and there was, there was a really heavy snowstorm. As a matter of fact, it was so heavy that we had to dig a path between the studio and the house every hour because it was snowing wow. so hard. It covered the cars. Nobody's snowplow could move it. We had Everybody had to wait for the front-end loaders to come and clear their driveway. I remember snow like that when I lived in Idaho. It would just be like total blizzard, really hard, right. like heavy Mhm. Mhm. Right. Real snow. Yeah. 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 The real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not like that where I live now. But I'm. I. I miss the snow. But then again, it's like it, it is a lot of work, and um, getting prepared to go out in it, it with kids is a lot of work. <laughs> with, with kids, exactly. Especially with uh. kids. Yeah. So I've been, you know checking out the, my stores of the, the, there's some herbs that I use very frequently, like I, I use Hawthorne on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, M- Michael, of course, takes oh, two to three dropperfuls of Hawthorne twice a day, and I take usually a dropperful or two twice a day uh, from the berries. And so um, we go through a fair amount of Hawthorne tinctures, so I always check and make sure that there's plenty since we make it from the dried berries. And Eagle Song, wonderful Eagle Song in her fabulous Pacific Women's Herbal Conference. Um, always sends us some haws. She is she is Madam Hawthorne. And she sent us some really, really big haws this year. They were bigger than most crab apples. Mm, wow. And she said, Cook these and, and check out the pectin and wow, I'll tell you. It practically mm. built up on its own just cooking it. There was so much pectin in it. As a matter of fact, we had to, like, thin it out with applesauce. Otherwise, you couldn't quite swallow it. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> funny. That's funny you're talking about this right now because I just got an email from her, and she wants to do another uh, teleseminar on, on Hawthorne so, and some other – and some a broader topic. But, yeah. So that's, yeah. 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 It's wonderful that that we have an herbal community in which people have devoted 25 or 30 years of their life to understanding one plant. It enriches us all so much. Mhm. And yeah, it, you know, it, when I came out with Healing Wise, it was, you know, a really unusual decision to just include seven herbs in my book. You know, mm-hmm. most herb most herbals tried to have it as many herbs as possible. Mm-hmm. In and um, so, you know, starting from way back then, um, I really advocated that we go deeply and rather than broadly. Not that I've got anything against broad. Yeah, I know I always love that, that saying that you, I've heard you say in the past that to go a mile deep and an inch wide rather than a, mile wide and an inch deep and yeah 
Yeah. Something that I yeah, yeah. And I and so I see that we are all benefiting from that as as we do that. Mhm. That's one of the things. Yeah, I got a really good compliment. How from well, a how will I learn about anything other than that, than that one plant? And the way you do it is through your community, through your community of herbalists, and we all share. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I got a really good compliment from my friend this week that was saying that she had gone to herb school, you know, like 20 years ago, and She's like, a, you know, like went to India several times as like a practicing yogini, like, you know, like has done so many healing arts as a massage therapist, all this. And um, not until we started hanging out like pretty frequently has she like started including like herbs back in her life on a daily basis. And she had a bunch of health problems and then uh, she just come in full circle with it. And even when she was in herb school, didn't use the herbs the way that like I use them and you use them in your daily life. And I was just like, you know, that's the gift that you've, you've given is to like go deep with these plants and really include them on a daily basis. So I thank you for that. And it's such a gift to be able to give to other people too. You are welcome. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Isn't it to acknowledge how much we rely on the plants and to not just, set them aside for when there's some problem that we have to correct. Yeah, I mean, such a preventative, amazing <laughs> allies they are because, like, my kids have never taken antibiotics or, you know, I have, don't use any drugs at all. It's just, I mean, it's so amazing just to have a medicine chest that I can reliably count on and have it there for me. So, I, I mean, I don't even reach out for herbs really from other people anymore just because I have so, so many around me that I work with now. And, of course, my, I have my favorites. But I find, like, you know, just even from the infusions, it, like, gives such a foundation of health. It's like I don't really need, like, a lot of other stuff. I mean, of course, I, I like to take other stuff, use other herbs and work with them. But, you know, like, my, my foundation is pretty solid now after many years. <laughs> Yes, I see that in the people around me who have been working with the plants and working with the infusions. You know, so then people say to me, "Well, what do you take to get to sleep?" And I look at them and I say, "I have no problem getting to sleep." Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still keep school cap by my bedside because that's one thing is like, if I have a hard time, I get like revved up at night sometimes, and I just have to I have to have it close to me. So. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, wonderful. So, yeah. that was us. Yvette did a live-out apprenticeship, which means that you come to every um, one-day class that I teach throughout the year. And um, so that's a weekend a month for seven months. And Mm -hmm. each one of those weekends, they get a little herbalist to-do list of what Mm -hmm. herbs I am drying that, that month, what herbs I'm tincturing, what herbs I'm turning into oils, honeys, and so on. And Yvette told me that in that year, and it took her three years to complete them all, that she decided that she was going to make everything on the to-do list, mm-hmm. even if she couldn't remember what it was for. <laughs> and that now, because that was sometime in the past, that was seven or eight years ago in the past, she says, now anything she needs, anything anybody else needs, she says, oh, yes, I have that right here. I made that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my my friend has been having a hard time sleeping for a long time, and I was like, "What? Well, I haven't given you school cap yet." And she's like, "Oh, you did, but 
I took two dropperfuls of it and it it didn't work. And I was like, that's actually one that you have to take less of, you know, it, you take like five right. to 10 people are used to taking like large quantities of it too. And um, I think when they're made in the way that you've taught to make herbs, you, you know, like we can use like a lot less, like in the case of school caps, you know, Yes, it's wonderful to see how we resonate with the plant, and then it's as though we only need to be reminded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to take the plant, like, when you really need it and you form that relationship with it, it's like you there's, like, this little opening, in t- you know, like, at these really uh, profound moments where that relationship can, like, really build, like, very strongly. And then um, it seems like the plant after that will work for you, like, really, you know, like, a lot better, like, in those profound times of need, you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. hmm Yeah. Oh, I'm, oh. I'm smiling <laughs> so much. It's, it's so <laughs> gratifying to mm-hmm. have this idea, you know, that herbal medicine is people's medicine, and to put that out and to see people resonate with that and take that up and to see that not just happening but being and accepted and continuing and growing and being its own thing that I I really feel quite content and quite gratified that that many, many people have gotten the message that herbal medicine is people's medicine and that you don't have to um, be an expert or get a degree. Yeah. Yeah. I I really, I, I feel that too. And I feel like, um, just bringing herbs in and like using them, you don't have to, I think like the simpler and the more profound it is because it doesn't complicate it and make it seem inaccessible. I think a lot of people like make it too complicated and then people like don't feel like they can use it regularly, you know? Um, yeah, it can be difficult to constrain yourself when you know a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's easy when you're talking or when you're writing to talk about all the many, many things that you know about the plant. But for people who, as you say, are just beginning, it is a little confusing for them. Mm-hmm. One of the influences on my herbalism was a manual of herbalism written in Britain by Edward Shook during the mid-40s. This was during World War II, and there were not many medical supplies or drugs. England was being severely bombed and set upon. And there were several things that really struck me about Shook's herbal. And I never actually had the book. I got it from a a rare book place that would make a photocopy of the book for you. And that's all I've ever seen is a photocopy of it. Um, But the things that really 
impressed themselves on me were that he had no problem repeating himself. And he did. If he was talking about plantain and he wanted you to make a plantain ointment, he would tell you right there how to make a plantain ointment. And if two pages later he was talking about calendula and he wanted you to make a calendula ointment, he would tell you how to make a calendula ointment. Hmm. None of this go in the back of the book and that's how you make an ointment kind of thing. No, right here on this page, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. So it was all... It helped me understand what people's medicine was, is that it's that it's medicine that is is how people use it. And people most people want it right in front of them. Mm-hmm. And he used one herb at a time. And he was one of the very first authors that I had ever come across who didn't try to convince me that herbs needed to work with other herbs. Hmm. And I find it kind of ironically full circle that as mushrooms, which were my very first love, but I decided not to teach people about them because (laughs) chances that somebody could make a mistake and die were just like too daunting, you know? I figured it wasn't (laughs) going to happen with plants, but with mushrooms, ooh. Um, And so now here I come full circle back to the mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, big splash. And um, what we're finding out is that the mushrooms really work much, much better together as a community. And if you want the the best value from your uh, mushrooms, combine them. Mm Mm-hmm. But that said, it doesn't really matter which ones you combine with which ones. They're party. They they love to party, so it's okay. Mhm. Yeah. Love the mushrooms. Yeah, we now, have a we have a very special guest tonight, Lisa mm-hmm. Butcher, and Lisa has just written her fifth book, Raising the Bottom. I have all kinds of strange fantasies about what on earth that title means, but she will be here at 9 o'clock my time, about an hour um, and a half-ish or so um, from now to tell us about Raising the Bottom, her award-winning book. So... Stay tuned or come on back and listen to what Elisa Butcher has to say um, about the difference between a high bottom and a low bottom and what impact mommy's wine culture has on parenting. Yeah, so I had mentioned to her because today is my my dad's birthday and he was also an alcoholic and um, I had said, oh, it's so funny you're going to be on the show this night because my, my dad got cancer at a young age and passed away basically due to alcoholism and drug abuse. And so she said, well, let me send you a copy of the book. And so I, I read her book, and I think it, it's really good for anybody that's grown up with an alcoholic parent. It's really, you know, um, a great book and how, you know, the generational trauma is passed down and a lot of uh, how – you know, um, 
pharmaceutical use is really prevalent in that culture as well. And, um, yeah, and she, she's really big on the 12-step program, whereas, like, I, I personally um, have never been to a 12-step meeting, but I did use, you know, um, some psychoactive plants and mushrooms to, to, um, to curb my alcohol addiction. So I think that, yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, like the parallels there of uh, the 12-step program and then using other therapies to also um, treat addiction. So, yeah. 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 Since we were speaking of mushrooms and to Ray for the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I um so a couple weeks ago you had mentioned peyote and I just wanted to bring that back up because you said that the peyote church is not allowed you're to harvest the wild peyote is that what you said or what 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 do you remember what you were talking about when you said that yes I mm-hmm. unfortunately um, have not retained the names of the people but. Mm-hmm was at the um, conference mm-hmm. on psychoactive plants in Tucson, and they gave a presentation, and they said that the Native American peyote church is only allowed to use wild peyote. Okay. And because of that, wild peyote is now becoming less and less common. Mm-hmm. And so they, at their peyote center, church, filed for and got the legal right to grow peyote. Okay. And could be wrong on the figures, but if I'm wrong, I'm saying less. I think the first year they planted 8,000, and then the next year they planted 20,000, and this year they may have planted 60,000. All right. I'm going to look up that conference and see who those people are because I've just been super interested. I keep, uh, it keeps popping up. So <laughs> They were wonderful, wonderful people, and, you know, my bad that I don't remember people's names. Mm-hmm. As a matter yeah, of fact, no when, when I went up to them to greet them, and they had a display of various things, and their mentor is a potter, and so they saw pottery. And um, I brushed past one of their peyote tiles, which fell off, and I grabbed it before it could fall and break. And I said, oh, well, thank goodness. And I went to put it back up. And he looked at me and he said, no, excuse me, that peyote tile has just chosen you. You are not allowed to put it back. Hmm. So you brought it home with you? So I have it, yes. I was looking at it just this morning. I have it on my altar. Yeah, those, some of those peyote, I've seen some of those paintings. The, is it the fabric painting, too, that is really, really beautiful? Really beautiful, yeah. This is just a tile... Um, done by Mana, of the actual peyote plant in flower. It's very beautiful. Well, It turned what was what could have been a very embarrassing moment for me into uh, something very <laughs> lovely. 
So, have we any questions tonight? Do and if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press one to put your call in the queue. And our first oh, and caller I had a we- lovely thing happen today. I went to renew my driver's license. You know, I don't know how, how it is where you live, but here every ten years you have to renew your driver's license. And because I wear glasses, I have to. I can't just renew by mail. I have to get a vision test. And so I went in and. The man looked at my past driver's license, and he looked at me, and he said, you haven't changed at all. We'll just use the old picture. We don't need a new one. Really? <laughs> That's awesome. I was looking forward to getting because I got mine this year, too. I had to get a new one, um, and I was looking forward to the new driver's license photo so I could do a side-by-side with them. <laughs> <laughs> I think I look better now. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I should have said. Oh, no, I take a picture. I look better now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, well, we'll go to the first caller in the 906 area code. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Alicia. Um. It's the first time I've been able to listen to your um, your blog talk radio show. Um, I've always meant to, but then kids in life get in the way. <laughs> um, but uh, I just had a couple questions. I've been I have a couple of your books, um, but I uh, I get um, I was I had a pelvic ultrasound done for some pain that I had been having. You had an ultrasound and, done because you've been having pain and you were wondering what was causing it. Yes. Um, and I have previously been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. But um, uh-huh. this time it wasn't related. They said that I had uh, borderline pelvic congestion syndrome. Uh-huh. And um, I was just, I was kind of reading through my books, and I couldn't find anywhere that it was mentioned, and I was just curious as to what I could do to help with that, I guess. Well, let's look at what they're saying. Okay. So the last word is congestion, yes? Yes. And congestion is like a traffic jam, right? Right, right. Yeah, they put the, my. So, and the, and where is the congestion? Pelvic congestion, right? Right. Okay, so there's a traffic jam in your pelvis, which is the area um, between your waist and the tops of your thighs. Right. It's where the the pelvic bone is, which is like a large you know, big saucer, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of tissues in there. The guts are in there. The bladder is in there. The uterus is in there. Lots of stuff in the pelvis. Lots of really mm, tender tissue and tissue with a lot going on for it. A lot of blood vessel involvement, a lot of lymphatic vessel involvement, a lot of hormones zipping around and doing things, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So 
what what would happen if there's congestion in that area? Um, I don't know. I guess it caused a discomfort in us. Yeah, well, things would slow down, wouldn't they? Right, right. So instead of things getting done in a really timely fashion, they get done a little bit too late. So at the very least, there would be a feeling of being kind of off kilter, mm-hmm. like things just aren't quite, you know, it's like watching um, um, a movie that's been dubbed and the lips are not synced up exactly with the words. Right, yeah. And polycystic ovarian syndrome is a term that is a little unfortunate because it makes one think there's cysts on your ovaries when there aren't. Right, right. Basically, it is a metabolic and hormonal syndrome. Um, And seems to respond very, very well to upping the amount of fat in the diet, especially from animal sources. Okay. um, So so what counters congestion? What counters congestion in the pelvis? What's the pelvis? What are some things that the pelvis can participate in? How do you use your pelvis during the day? Right. We can we can sit on our pelvis, right? Yep. Would that improve congestion or help move congestion? I would think that sitting would cause more congestion. Cause more congestion. So the pelvis is involved in walking, right? Right. Yep. And swimming. And horseback riding. And bicycling. And what do we think? How would those things relate to congestion? Um, I would think that they would improve. Or yeah, that they would help dissipate the congestion, right? Right. That's what I would think, too. Okay. And part of the congestion is that you haven't yet really found a way to take your worry about your pelvis and turn it into really good care of your pelvis. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I say in down there is that for the best pelvic health, um, for women, my suggestion is seven orgasms a week. You'd have one every day if you want to do it that way. You can save them all up and have seven on Sunday if you want to do it that way. 
or two on Monday, three on Wednesday, however it works for you. But especially where there's pelvic congestion, pelvic pain, and the kinds of things that you are talking about, seven orgasms a week will go a long way. Okay. Changing that and improving that. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Um, I just uh, started drinking them again this past week. Wonderful. Yes. Keep that up and see if you can get some kind of animal fat in your diet at least three times a day. And that can be, you know, direct animal fat like butter and lard, um, egg yolk, or it can be okay. a little more indirect, as in full-fat yogurt or full-fat milk, okay. cheese, and, of course, meat and fish. Also right. can't okay. animal fats. Is there a specific infusion that I should be using? Or? Rotate through all five infusions. Okay. Okay. Corn and rice and barley and oats and rye are all grains. Which one should you eat? Oh, boy. Well, see, I wouldn't even know. You wouldn't, you don't, we don't want to do that to ourselves. Why don't I have to pick one? I don't have to pick one. One isn't how I'm designed to be. Yep. Right? That's why we have five infusions, so that there's always something new and interesting to drink. Right. Right? You drink just one over and over again, soon you're not drinking infusion anymore. You're looking for something more interesting. (laughs) Yep. So rotate through them so you keep yourself from getting bored. Right. That sounds good to me. me. I'm sorry, did you ask me a question? You got kind of cut off. Oh, no, I said that that sounded good to me. <laughs> okay, King blessings then. Good night. All right, thank you. The next caller is coming from the 907 area code. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi. Nothing like those seven orgasms a week. All right. <laughs> um, last year I called you around April about um, a plant and I had like a play on words it was the Biden Pelosa Biden. Do you remember that? Yes I do Okay um, Who was the author because I can't get onto my internet that wrote the book about antivirals I think you said that was a really Even Booner, B-U-H-N-E-R. Okay. Herbal antivirals. Let's look in the index here. A, B, E, E, Biden's Pelosa, 113. Used against herpes, 
Okay, that's all I wanted to know. Well, thanks for calling. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 570 area code. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Enjoying this beautiful sunny day sparkling off the snow. How about you? Yes. Mm, I'm a little stressed out because uh, my cat just got a lymphoma diagnosis. And um, she had had the symptoms. She's had the symptoms for about a year, and she was misdiagnosed and not treated for it. And then we just found it out. So I'm nervous because I want to help her because her quality of life is fine. She's not lost any weight. She's active. She's eating. But um, I feel a bit nervous about the next step to take if I want to do a conventional path or if I want to use herbs. And so I was wondering if you had any opinions on uh, how to treat this in cats. And specifically, I'm wondering about poke root. Well, the thing about poke root is that it needs to be tinctured to be used, and the vast majority of cats cannot take tinctures. Right. So that's problem right there. Um, you uh-huh. said that she had symptoms. Uh huh. They are. Um, do you want me to tell you what they are? Please. Um, she had. She's had mucus and blood coming down from one nostril and one eye for the past year. And now there's obvious swelling. Um, and then I just, I just got the report back and there are, uh, there's, it's, it's cancer in there. There's a bunch of tissue in there and it's starting to eat into the bone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm pissed off because I had taken her in and I suspected cancer and they told me it didn't seem like cancer. And now it is. And I'm mad because it's progressed. So I'm dealing with my own anger about it, too, but trying not to let that, you know, yes. be my well, overwhelming emotion. If had been diagnosed with cancer a year ago, what would you have done? Would you have spent $20,000 to do chemotherapy? Uh, you know, you can, take, you can do chemotherapy, and it's not that expensive if you do the oral chemotherapy. I've got a friend with lymph- whose cat has lymphoma, and it's not actually costing her that much. I oh, feel okay. that I would have had more options if it had been caught earlier i think that it would i mean i just think that's just i think cancer is more treatable the earlier you catch it you know even with herbs if or mushrooms if, I, if that would have been useful Ugh. well here's the here's the thing about the mushrooms okay. i do believe that the mushrooms are useful and i believe that mm-hmm. the mushrooms are useful when we're in that state of i think something's going on and the doctor says there isn't Right. Mm-hmm. That is the exact time to say, okay, so maybe there isn't anything going on, and maybe there is, and just in case there is, I'm giving my cat mushrooms, or I'm taking mushrooms. Yep. And then yeah. when you get to this place, mm-hmm. then you say, well, at least I've been taking mushrooms. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So mushrooms are pretty easy to add to cat's food. They're usually available powdered. Uh-huh. as well as in tinctures. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And, the, and the powders can be mixed with other things. Uh-huh. We've been doing have, these the past I few days. I personally had fairly good success with all animals getting them to take any herb I want them to take by mixing it with yogurt. Mm-hmm. She loves yogurt. Yeah, most of them do. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Even, my, even my goose would take almost anything mixed with yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> he was attacked by some toothy creature that bit out his armpit, so I had to have him inside oh. while it healed, yes. Quite the wound. Yeah. Well, let me just ask you this. You say that alcohol and cats, not a good mix, but the dosage for poke is so minute. I had spoken to another herbalist who had said that alcohol is actually fine for cats, which I don't think is true generally. But what about, I mean, what... The dose is so small. Do you think that if I'm doing like a cost-benefit analysis, do you think that it could be worth it? Well, it's not about the cost. And mm-hmm. in terms of poke versus cancer, doses can get mm-hmm. large. I have talked to people who took as much as a tablespoon of poke tincture a day dealing with mm-hmm. So what I have found to be safe is to start out with small amounts of poke and to double up day by day until you hit a dose Mm -hmm. too much and then Mm -hmm. back off a little bit and plateau there for a while and then push yourself to go up further and further. Yeah. I find that when there's active cancer, the body can tolerate a lot more poke than it would if there wasn't active cancer. Oh, interesting. So, but it's the alcohol that cats can foam at the mouth and go into convulsions from. I see. I see. Okay. So, when I have felt that I had an herb that I could only dose in tincture, I have put it in yogurt and found that it has been tolerated that way. I haven't had a cat react, but I have seen people put tinctures in cats' mouths, and I have seen the cats claw at their faces and I mean, like in the cartoons, foam coming out of their mouth. <laughs> wow. Right. If it wasn't, you know, a a creature having a horrible time, you would have to laugh. Right. Sure. Because it, because it looks very silly, but it certainly, you know, seeing that made me go, oh, you know, let's be really cautious about cats and alcohol. I'm certain it's not every cat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so were I to oh go ahead sorry. So so what would conventional medicine at this point do? You know, I I'm not sure. I have to take her to an oncologist. I'm taking her next week. Um there could be they could remove the mass. It's in a tough spot that it, so they'd have to take out one of her eyes possibly or radiation. Um the outcomes are actually quite good for cats with lymphoma. Uh, yes, lymphoma is fairly going... treatable. It, say that again? Lymphomas tend to be fairly treatable. Right, exactly. So say, I was reading that there's a 75% success rate. And um, like I said, she's 
very healthy. Otherwise, her blood panel is fine. Nothing else is happening with her. So I would be willing to go that route. I really love this cat. (laughs) I think that where herbs come in when we have this kind of diagnosis, that there's a Mm -hmm. specific answer, it's rather advanced. And you're you're certainly right that your best bet is, you know, your trifecta of surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, you know, one, two, or three. Right. And use herbs to strengthen, support, nourish the body, and moderate and mollify the side effects. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. My new book, Abundantly Well, has um, a really good section on herbs that help um, protect if you're doing radiation. Gotcha. um, In the online course, Cancer Diagnosis, The Wise Woman Way, um, I talk about herbs that are specially effective and useful if you're doing chemotherapy. Okay. Right. In the adaptogen, if you get a book about adaptogens, for Mm -hmm. instance, David Winston's book, he talks about adaptogens being used um, to help strengthen and support when a cancer is being treated. And in Abundantly Well, I also talk about adaptogens. I don't go into as much detail as to how they're used during cancer treatment, but it's pretty simple. Use adaptogens. Use them on a daily basis. Use them before, during, and for years after the treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like the mushrooms, right? As soon as you think something could be wrong, start using them. Yep. Definitely feeding myself up for that. Right, and keep at it. Yep. Because the effects of... uh, um, those big guns reverberate through the being for a long time. Sure, absolutely. Okay. What's the cat's name? <laughs> Her name is Big Kitten. <laughs> big Kitten, I love it. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> well, we are all oh, yeah. in this Big Kitten as one of the 75% whose treatment is successful. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for your time tonight. Dream blessings. Good night. Night night. The next caller is coming from the 775 area code. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I um, have been um, dealing with uh, IBS for years, and I'll get better, and then I get worse. Well, last year I got hepatitis A which I presume is from eating out at fast food restaurants. And uh, ever since then, um, I'm having issues going to the bathroom where everything is yellow. And I've been to the doctor, and, you know, they tell me that um, I need to take, um, uh, gosh, sorry, my memory. (laughs) Um, I'm eating yogurt every day, and... I'm drinking my nourishing herbal infusions, and uh, the only thing that's ever worked with me in the past to help me to actually have a real bowel movement is to shock my system 
Like if I don't drink coffee, then all of a sudden I drink coffee, that'll do it. But if I keep drinking coffee every day, then my body gets used to it. Or I try some other kind of weird food that I've never tried before, then that does it. But it's just, is there anything that you can think of that can help help me, can I even heal that part of my body? Yes. The herbs that help do that are herbs that are mucilaginous. I have a chat at Enchanted Forest every month, the third Monday of the month. And each year I pick a theme, and my theme this year is the mucilaginous herbs, the slippery, slimy, soothing herbs that repair, restore, heal, and nourish the mucous surfaces of the body, which is the digestive system, the respiratory system, and the reproductive system. Okay. Thank you. The, yeah, the mucilaginous herbs are varied. Some of them feel slippery and some not so much. For instance, licorice is considered a really excellent mucilaginous herb to help people with bowel problems, but it doesn't seem like a very slippery herb. Whereas marshmallow root, another mucilaginous herb, of course, is extremely slippery, almost gluey. So the gut and the individual's gut is so responsive to everything and so individual that trying out different mucilaginous herbs and seeing if there's one or more that you really resonate with okay. is, I can do a that. Way, Thank you. is a way to go. My favorite is Cyprig Elm. Cyprig Elm is the inner bark of an elm tree. Um, elm trees still exist. They just don't get very big. They die of Dutch elm disease, and it's true of the slippery elm, too. And slippery elm can be bought as cut bark, the inner bark, or powdered inner bark. I like to take the powdered inner bark, put some of it in a bowl, and drizzle honey into it and mix it up until it gets to be the consistency of pie dough. So on a stiff, malleable, dough-like consistency, and then I pinch off pieces of it about the size of a macadamia nut, although you could make them smaller or larger at whatever you like, and roll them so that they're smooth, and then roll them in some Cyprium powder so that they don't stick to each other, and then I put them in a tin so that I have them available. One of the... You still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, good. One of the first people that I met with Crohn's disease was a young woman who drove her motorcycle at a 
death-defying speed um, up my driveway and skidded to a stop and was not wearing a helmet. And I thought, I wonder what is up with this woman. She seems to have some kind of death wish here. Right, and it, uh, what it was was her diagnosis of Crohn's disease, so she figured she had nothing to lose. And we talked about slippery elm, and she wanted to use the slippery elm balls, but that just was not possible for her because it reminded her too much of the things, the dyes that they had had her take for her um, x-rays. So she decided to get the cut bark and make a tincture of it, and she started taking that as a tincture. And within a week, she said that she was feeling like her gut was healing, and within three months, she claimed that she didn't have Crohn's disease anymore. And that was a tincture of um, slippery Slippery elm elm bark? bark. Slippery elm bark, correct. Okay. It's the inner bark. Now, I woke up one day and obviously ate something bad um, because I was glad that my sink was next to my toilet because it was coming out both ends pretty equally there. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that was the day I was supposed to drive to Yale and give a presentation to the nurse midwives down there. And I wasn't sure I was going to be able to drive, so I called a friend and told her what was happening and asked her if she'd drive me, and she said she would. And I started sucking on these slippery elm balls that I make, the slippery elm mixed with honey. And you just tuck it in your cheek, and you just let it slowly dissolve down your throat. And slippery elm absorbs poison from food poisoning, stops the food poisoning, stops diarrhea, prevents constipation, stops vomiting, checks nausea, took about three hours to get down to Yale, and then I was able to stand there and give my presentation, which was about three hours, um, without any pain, any problem, any need to throw up or to, and without diarrhea. That's so amazing. That's not how food poisoning usually goes now, is it? No. (laughs) I came home one evening, um, and went out to the barn to milk the goats with the apprentices, and there was a baby goat about two and a half months old laying on the floor of the barn, stiff as a board. I was very frightened that she was dead, but one of the apprentices bent down and said, no, this goes breathing. And I went through my very short list of what could have caused this to happen and decided that somehow she must have been poisoned by something and went in the house for some slippery elm. And I got my slippery elm powder and I mixed it with some milk from her mom. So we mm-hmm. had a slippery elm gruel and one of the apprentices who was very attached to her sat up all night long with her spooning slippery elm gruel into her mouth, stroking her throat so it would go down because she was quite paralyzed. And by the morning, she was able to stand and move. She was blind. We continued to give her slippery elm, and within eight days, she began to see again. I'm not making wow. this up. Wow. That's amazing. So these are some of the reasons that I love slippery elm, because slippery elm has really been there for me in a pinch. I always carry some slippery elm balls when I travel. There's a YouTube of my granddaughter making slippery elm balls. And um, they're extremely nutritive, and they repair and heal 
the mucus surface of the gut. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. It's slippery elm bark powder has helped me when I used to have uh, interstitial cystitis pain. And thanks to you and everything you've shared with me, I hardly ever have pain, ever, <laughs> with it, ever. And uh, so I will do that for, I'll make the slippery elm balls for my colon and whatever else is going on. Yes. And, uh, and then experiment some of the others. You know, get a little marshmallow and try a quart of marshmallow infusion. Make yourself some fenugreek tea, right? Start to investigate the slippery, slimy herbs. And certainly work with slippery elm. It's an easy one. Um, but the others are really nice, too. And sometimes it's nice to have, you know, like I, I if I'm in any gut dif- difficulty, I really like to have marshmallow infusion. Then I make the infusion with the hot water, and then after I drink that, I fill the quart jar right up with cold water and just let it steep like that in the fridge, and it gets really slimy. Where did you get your marshmallow root? Um, I mean, do you go out? I mean, I, 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 um, earlier this summer, I, you know, wanted to learn more about it, and it's just popping up everywhere. But I was too scared to dig it up, and wasn't sure if it was the right, you know, just to dig up the root. Is there a place to buy it? Sure. Okay. Frontier Herbs, Mountain Rose Herbs, Star West Botanicals. Okay. Is it West Botanicals? Yeah, there's lots of places to buy herbs. Okay. Thank you very much. You are welcome. I don't know of any member of the hibiscus family that's poisonous. Any mallow that you find will be edible and safe. I will do that. Green blessings. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 813 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Greenest of blessings to you and yours on this day and every day and this night and ever night. Thank you. I accept. (laughs) Okay. So um, I'm 37 years old, and this year was a horrible year. I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and uh, I elected to have the thyroidectomy and the radioactive iodine ablation. And uh, my doctors are convinced that I'm cured. But I have to wait a year for, you know, my scans. I have to do a little bit of radiation swallow again, and then I go for my scans. So I have um, a couple of questions for you. The first and foremost is um, if you think I'm going to tell you my routine, if there's anything else that you would do, because I'm done with cancer for the rest of my life, I'm done with cancer, and I have to protect myself from this radiation. So I uh, have, I do the nourishing herbal infusion. I do stinging nettle. Uh, I just ordered violet, so I'll be adding violet to protect my salivary glands, my bladder, my kidneys, my colon from the pill that I had to swallow. Um, I do red clover blossom, um, and I. That's also to heal my cervix because I had about 10 years ago a really bad case of cervicitis. Um, I do oat straw. I eat miso. Uh, I I follow a Japanese diet. So I eat a lot of miso, and I've started to implement tempeh into my diet, and I have a lot of seaweed. I do ginger to turn off the oncogenes. Um, Let me see what else. 
I'm, I've gotten back into practicing medical Qigong again. And I just want to hear your recommendation. What, you, what else do you think I should add to my repertoire? Matcha. Oh, yes. Gobo. Yes, Gobo. I am not so sure about tempeh. Okay, I'll I'll scratch off the tempeh. I am told that more people are allergic to soy than any other food. Okay. And See, that and that from the mm-hmm. remaining group more people are allergic to mold than any other thing. So if you take everybody who's allergic to soy and take them out, then the the next biggest allergen is mold. And tempeh is moldy soybeans. It's right. Moldy tofu. I remember hearing a talk that you gave. It's just moldy tofu and you saw all these apprentices eating it and they were just turning green and throwing up. They were throwing up. We had a lot of projectile vomiting and and matter of fact <laughs> I was talking to my daughter about it, and I said, you know, I think there's still some slabs of tempeh in the freezer from like 30 years ago. She said, you should throw those things out. I said, the things that are in the back of the freezer, I don't even want to know. I think there's a a goat skin back there that I was trying to brain tan, and I couldn't deal with the smell, so I just froze it. I mean, oh, my gosh. The sins in the freezer. Okay. 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 But I think you're doing great Mm -hmm. with all of that. And um, so when you say that you're doing miso, here's what mm-hmm. I understand, because I, my son-in-law is a um, retired chef instructor from the Culinary Institute who used to go to Japan and mm-hmm. teach. And one of the things, one of his specialties was miso soup. And he would spend an entire day making the broth that the miso went in. Mm-hmm. With little fish and burdock and seaweed and right. all this, right? So is that what you're doing when you say you're, you're eating a lot of miso, or is it just like miso, or are you actually doing the traditional miso soup? I What I do is I'll take the, the seaweed with it and maybe the, the kombu, like the kombu dashi, the kombu stuff. I don't take, make it all day, but if I'm uh-huh. in a rush, like if I'm at work, I'll take a tablespoonful of miso and put it in like a little plastic wrap and then let the water, the hot water cool, put it in there and then put the rest of my seaweed in like the shiitake mushrooms and then I'm done. So I, I don't, I don't um, brew the broth for a long time. I just use the miso as it is and dilute it in hot water. Right. You know, right. Right. So, Given what your intention is, that's not mm-hmm. good enough. Okay. Choose a day when you prepare that broth and then, like, freeze it in an ice cube tray so you can just, you know, take out an ice cube at a time to use or a couple of ice cubes or freeze it in, you know, small containers, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can make a week or a couple of weeks' worth. I know that Ryan Drum has told us over and over again that most people do not digest seaweed at all. And it's the mm-hmm. reason why the Japanese culture cooked it for long times. 
Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Right. And I said to him, these are like packages of, you know, the nori, like everybody is eating. Does this count as seaweed? Mm-hmm. He, said, he said, it absolutely does. That's just fine. He said, mm-hmm. that's another thing. Like I've seen nori right out of the ocean, and it's beautiful. It looks kind of like mm-hmm. soft hands, right? And then they just grind that and put that on screens, like making paper. And right. he said, so once again, it's ground up. It's easier for your body to digest. So, I get so strangely I like enough, that mm-hmm. cup of, you know, hottish water with the miso, a, a couple of those nori sheets would be better than the kombu because your body would get more of it. Oh. I was shocked. I thought he was going to say, oh, that's junk food, da-da-da. He was like, nope, that's really good nutrition. I'm like, what? Okay. So I carry them as my airplane snack now. Yes. <laughs> Right. What's what's fun to see seaweed, you know, becoming a hip snack? Ha ha. <laughs> wonderful, it's delicious. Wonderful. wonderful. Okay, so my, my so um, was. Mm-hmm. So you're taking Synthroid. Yes, I'm taking 88 um, milligrams of level thyroxine a day. Uh huh. And what people have told me is that you can scale down. Mm-hmm. You can push your doctors to let you reduce the dose. Right. There'll be a dose beyond which you can't get lower, but mm-hmm. apparently it will be easier on you if you can get the dose lower. Right. And so certainly because peanut. you're, you know, eating seaweed. Now, is there any of your thyroid left at all, or is it all gone? None. No, it's None. all gone. With the all ablation, um, the, they wanted to nuke. They didn't want it coming back. They, I, I had a family history of thyroid cancer. They're like, we're not going to take any chances. And the kind that I had, um, it was papillary, but the, the particular kind was classic. And classic is a bit more aggressive than the other types. Not as not as aggressive as the other types that follow it, but it's fairly aggressive, and they didn't want to take any chances. Right. I hear you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Modern, okay, medicine, my, modern quick, medicine is uh, so amazing. I know. Mm-hmm. I have a peanut intolerance, and whenever I have – so I'm – Thinking about lentils and the red clover are legumes, correct? Like the part of the family. If that would, no, when I eat them or when I drink the infusion, I don't feel, I don't have any adverse reactions like I do with the with peanuts, like the instantaneous inflammatory reaction that I get in my gut. Do you suppose that those would be? I have not heard of people who are allergic to peanuts being allergic to beans. Okay. Okay. It seems to be peanuts. Just peanuts. Not a legume-wide thing. Not, okay. Oh. And in fact, it works the way around, too. People whose gut is sensitive to beans are often 
good on peanuts. Plants are just amazing. (laughs) Okay, that was that was my question. Um, I'm glad that I'm doing. You've given me the strength to to fight and really live my new life. Thank you so much, Susan. You are so welcome. Thank you for hanging in there and sharing. Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 214 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi there. Uh, I'm calling about my son, Joseph. He is 10 months old, and about two days ago, he came down with a fever of about 103. And uh, since then, now he's had a fever between 102 and 104, and just now it was uh, 104.2. And um, we took him to the doctor yesterday evening, and he was diagnosed with a middle ear infection. Uh-huh. And he is congested, and uh, we just were wondering uh, what you would recommend for that. So far, we've been doing a uh, uh, garlic and mullein eardrops um, in olive oil. And uh, our number one question is, what temperature should be dangerous or considered dangerous for a, for a child his age to have? What temperatures did you say? Yes, like uh, what temperature is high enough to be concerned about his um, anything happening because of it? Like is 104 considered normal? Very young children can run very high fevers. What is what can be scary is that some children can convulse when they get to 104 or higher. Okay. So well, long as your son seems to be. Um, okay with it, as okay as a kid can be who has a fever, so I use that advisedly, uh, then it's not a figure, it's not like there's some cutoff point beyond which something terrible happens. Okay. But what I would ask you is what other herbs do you usually use when you're dealing with fevers? Um, we have honestly been using Tylenol, so I was wondering what herbal uh, okay. solution. So herbs that lower fevers are called febrifuges. Fuges is like fugitive, right? To right. flee, to go away. Febrifuge, things that make fevers flee, is a febrifuge. One of my favorite febrifuges is echinacea. Okay. I'm sure you've heard of echinacea, and and you probably have some echinacea. Did you say you have some? Uh, Have you been using it at this point? No, I I was not aware that was a fever fuge. I thought that was just a a good choice to fight bacterial infections, which he has, so I did consider that. Um, I wasn't sure how to dose tinctures for a young child. The dose of echinacea is a one drop for every two pounds of body weight. Okay. Also, it's not a drug. Sure. So, 
if you gave your child too much, nothing bad would happen. Okay. All right? All right. So what I usually do if there's a very high fever is I and uh, your 10-month-old weighs He's how much right pounds. now? That, I was going to say about 20 pounds. pounds. Yep. So that would be about 10 drops of echinacea tincture. Okay. Would be a dose. And Every at hour. this, and so long as the child is running a very high fever, you could use that dose as often as every 15 or 20 minutes until you start okay. to see that fever coming down, and then lengthen the time between doses. Eventually, you'll get down to three doses a day. Okay. All right. Echinacea is considered safe in any amount for anybody of any age. It reduces fevers. It reduces fevers sometimes very, very fast. When I'm saying every 15 or 20 minutes, you may only have to do two or three doses to get that fever back down to about 100, 101. Okay, great. And, right, and, and it will know. also directly fight the infection. It's. I'm glad that you're putting some stuff in his ear, but there is an eardrum there, and it's because the infection's in the middle ear there's very little likelihood that what you're putting in his ear is getting through to where the infection is. Okay. Okay. So you would recommend a systemic, something that could get some oral? Yeah. Like okay. echinacea. Okay. Elder, uh, elder blossom tincture is also an excellent feverfuge, especially for children. And, okay. again, can be used in any quantity, you know, 10 drops, 10 to 20 drops is a good amount. One of our funny family stories is my daughter waking her husband up in the middle of the night and saying, your daughter has a fever. Get up and go outside and pick some elderflowers and make some tea for her, which he did. It was 2 a.m. And he got up and he went outside, and sure enough, the elder that they had planted the year before was blooming. And he picked some flowers, and he made a tea, and he brought it back, and they gave it to her, and her fever was dispelled. That's wonderful. We just planted some in the fall, actually, so I look forward to being able to do that myself. There you go. So you may be the next dad up at 2 a.m. making elder blossom. (laughs) I would like that. (laughs) Green blessings. Thanks so much for calling. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 575 area code. And it looks like there's just one caller after this with their hand raised, and we have about 11 minutes before the guest comes on. Okay. Okay. Hello. Hi. Um, 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 I was actually calling you about a fever, so I got my answer. Thank you. Um, and... I, if this is not the right space for this question, you know, that, just let me know. Um, I am an RN, and I have not been able to work as an RN for many years because of how much harm I feel that I do under that model of supposed care. And I want to be, I want to study midwifery, um, and I just, it's like I'm just stuck in this process. I have all these options of, of which path I can go. Um, and there's just something like 
telling me that it's going to be too overwhelming or too much responsibility or and maybe I should do it within the allopathic model to have more support. I, but then, anyway, I just didn't know if you had anything to comment on. And if not, well, first fine. of all, all herbalists are allopaths. Okay. There are only you. two ways of doing medicine, allopathy and homeopathy. Okay. Allopathy means that if you have a cough, I give you something that soothes it. And homeopathy means that if you have a cough, I give you something that makes you cough. Yeah. Homeo, like treat spike. Allio, we treat differently. So all herbalists, chiropractors, massage therapists are all allopaths. What you have to determine for yourself is, are you the sort of person who feels comfortable defining yourself? And defining your relationship with other people. Are you the kind of person who prefers to have a framework that can be seen as protective? So, there's no need... To have a license to help people. You know this. I know this. You know that the simple act of sitting and listening to someone and perhaps suggesting that they drink a cup of herbal tea um, will do far more than most drugs. Mm -hmm. Do you want to work with people who are very, very sick? That's not no. what I'm hearing. You? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. And since yeah. you don't want to work with people who are very, very sick, you're not going to need specialized training. Uh-huh. What you need is an open heart, a really deep knowledge about yourself, and the ability to be truly accepting of other people's distress. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and then however you do decide to do that, you know, whether you want to talk to people about herbs. One of, one of my uh, past apprentices who I see pretty regularly said, you know, I've decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to become a community-created herbalist. And that was a term started by Eagle Song. Because somebody asked why she didn't have letters after her name, so she put CCH after her name. And somebody said, what's that? She says, that's a community-created herbalist. My community thinks I'm an herbalist, so I am. Mm, cool. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you want to be a CCH? Lisa says, you know, I think, I think I'm going to start calling myself a community-created herbalist. I want people to see me as an herbalist. I want them to ask me for help. I want them to, to know that I have been studying this and that I have knowledge that I'm happy to share. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, right? We empower each other to become our own experts. Yep. Right? Right. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings.
And the next caller is coming from the 646 area code. Hi. Hi, Susan. This is Brenda. Hi, Brenda. Uh, hi. It's been really lovely just listening. <laughs> um, yeah, just sort of moved listening to everybody. Um, I probably will have to call in another week for, for a deeper, more chronic issue I'm having with uh, some skin lesions, but for tonight... Um, I, I woke up Saturday morning with some sort of viral cold or something, and it really knocked me out Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, and for the first time ever that I can recall, I, like, literally lost most of my appetite. Um, and it hasn't been fully restored. And I'm just resting a lot. I'm not – you're asking me if I'm drinking any herbs. I'm not doing anything. I'm just drinking water. I've been resting. I've been sleeping a lot. Um, I feel really weak because I haven't been consuming. And the other thing I just want to add is um, I've been a pretty regular coffee drinker, and during this time, like, my body did not want coffee. And so I didn't drink it. Um, but what ended up happening was in the midst of dealing with this, I started going through major caffeine withdrawal. I literally – I think there were two nights where I felt like an ax went through the middle of my head. Um, it's passed. <laughs> so um, I'm just not 100% at all back to normal, and I'm just wondering what I could do to maybe rebuild my body. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just wanted to share. I thought to call in tonight and see what Susan, what you'd have to say. All right. Well, my standard answer is drink nourishing herbal infusions. Okay. In fact, water can't hydrate you. Every cell in your body is protected by a lipid layer. Lipids are fats. What happens when you put water on fat? Yeah. Rolls off. Mm. So water is not hydrating. The whole idea that we're supposed to drink a lot of water was actually <laughs> made up by an advertising executive at a large um, soft drink manufacturer in order to sell their bottled water. So, and it's been, you know, picked up and passed around as though it were some kind of gospel. So nourishing herbal infusions, there are YouTubes of me making nourishing herbal infusions. I talk about them in all my books. And basically, um, there are five or more herbs that we can use for nourishing herbal infusions, and we rotate through them so that we're not mixing them together or drinking the same thing day after day. Many people like to start with something like oat straw, which is very mild tasting. An ounce of oat straw in a quart jar filled at the top of the boiling water, tightly lidded and allowed to steep for four hours or overnight, then strained and refrigerated and drunk over the next 24 to 36 hours. Very easy to make. Red clover is another lovely nourishing herbal infusion, as is stinging nettle. Linden. Hibiscus. Comfrey leaf. So those are some nourishing herbal infusions. And many people find that, that when they're in a situation where they don't have an appetite, um, that if they can continue doing their nourishing herbal infusions, they wind up being very well nourished. A dear friend of mine 
said, you know, when I was pregnant, I wasn't morning sick. I was morning, noon, and night sick. She would throw up even water, but she could hold down nourishing herbal infusion. In fact, she lost 40 pounds during her pregnancy. Now, she had it to lose, as she says. Before she got pregnant, her gynecologist sneered at her and said, you know, you're fat and over 40, you'll never get pregnant. She said, so I was not fat by the end of the pregnancy because she did lose 40 pounds. But she was in good health and her baby was in good health because even though she hadn't been able to eat, she had been able to drink her nourishing herbal infusions. So that's what I would suggest. Start a lifelong habit. Replace your coffee with nourishing herbal infusions. Replace your water with nourishing herbal infusions. Okay. And and how often am I rotating? Like if you said I start with oat straw, then to red clover, what, how, am I the doing next, that? Then the next, right, I, I do one a day. And if I have some left over, that's okay, right? So if I make oat straw on Tuesday night, then Wednesday night, I'll make red clover, and if I have to finish up the oat straw before I can start the red clover, okay. And if I wind up by Thursday or Friday having so much left over that I don't need to make it for the next day, that's okay too. But the ideal is to drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion each day. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Green blessing. Bye. And I just need to mention, um, Lisa, if you're here, will you please press 1? I was uh, unable to get her phone number before the show. After short stints where Lisa Butcher trained polo horses, worked as a flight attendant, hairdresser, and bartender, she revamped her life and settled in as a registered nurse. For the past 28 years, Lisa Butcher has worked with hundreds of women who have overcome alcoholism. She's helped them to live better lives and to become better parents. Raising the Bottom is her fifth book. She was prompted to write Raising the Bottom when she realized after 20-plus years of working in hospitals that doctors and traditional health care offer few solutions to women with addiction issues. Lisa Butcher is the mother of twin sons, and she lives in Ohio with her husband. And I hope you are here, Lisa. Do we have Lisa with us? Lisa, if you're here, can you please press 1? Let's see if this last caller was her that had already pressed it. Is this you, Lisa? Come in, Lisa. Are you here, Lisa? That wasn't it either. Um, Let's go to this caller in the 732 area code, and I will see if I can get in touch with over the email. Okay. Hello. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi, this is Ruth. Uh, sounds like things have gone nicely over the holidays, and I'm glad you're back, and you have a nice set of snow there, so that's just wonderful. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah, okay. things are good. 
I have a question. A couple months ago, I was listening, and you said something. Well, I understand you say foods are not are not nutritious if they're not cooked, but you said there's an exception of like five things. One you said meat, eggs, and the other three I didn't get. I was wondering if you could repeat that for me. Sure. Meat, eggs, milk, fish, and insects. Okay. These are basically your proteins. And protein is digested in the stomach. The hydrochloric acid of the stomach unwinds those proteins. When those things are heated, the proteins bind more closely together and they are more difficult to pull apart. Okay. So, for instance, there is a substance, a protein in milk that when heated becomes glue. That's that's why there's a cow on Elmer's glue. <laughs> because it's made from that protein in milk. So some people have a problem with pasteurized milk, which is milk that has been heated, not because of the lactose, but because of that particular protein, the glue protein in it. In fact, what's usually said is that with these five protein sources, what you need is either raw or very well cooked. Right? So if you're not going to eat that meat raw, then Cocovin, beef stew, right? Something where it is well, well, well cooked. Okay. Okay, well, thank you. I have uh, received my abundantly well book. I haven't read too much of it, but I'm looking forward to that more, and I'm glad to hear you back on on your program Tuesday nights. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for being back here with me. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Okay. Well, I'll ask her to press one one more time. Lisa, if you're here, will you press one? And um, I'm not seeing her in the queue. There was a unfortunate um, miscommunication. The woman that was uh, setting up interviews for her had recently like been fired or something I couldn't get the number and I actually even called her today and so (laughs) but um I thought that she thought that she still might call in so um I guess not though I guess that there was a miscommunication so if anybody else has a question for Susan please press one and well I hope we get to talk to her, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about Raising the Bottom, because you said you read it. Yeah, it goes through um, several accounts of uh, different women's, well, it goes through her whole um, childhood, growing up with a mother that's alcoholic, and then also... Um, what is the bottom? What is the bottom? You know, I said that I had, you know, so first of all, bottom is the name of the donkey in Midsummer's Night Dream, right? Yeah, so this is more like, you know, when you raising hit Raising the bottom, bottom is like raising the donkey. Um, 
raising the bottom? Is this like a poker game and the bottom is like the ante? No, it's like raising when, so the like, bottom. When I was it, a child, your bottom got smacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't think the, that any of these are the bottoms she's talking about. No, she's talking about like, you know, when you hit rock bottom and, um, you know, like building your way back up from there. So raising the bottom. So how do you, what is raising? Is that like rearing the bottom or? That's really a question. I still don't quite understand what title means. Yeah, there have there are several people here in the queue now. I want to see if um, ah, maybe one of them's her. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not more questions to answer instead of questions okay. to ask. Um, let's go to the seven three two area code. Are you there in the seven three two? Hello, seven three two. Speak to us. Hello, I'm seven three two, but I just spoke with you, Susan. Okay. Oh. Okay, and the two zero three area code. That's me. That's me. Hi. Two zero three. Hello. Did we talk already? No. Do you have a question? Yes, I do. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I'm so grateful for all that you give us generous generously. Um, my dad is um has Parkinson's. Um, the diagnosis is like um, eight years now. My mom, he's a veteran, so he gets a lot of support from the VA. Um, my mom, he is uh, a home health worker, and my mom is really devoted to helping him. So I attribute all of that to how good of shape he's in. But he's he's really declining, and um, we didn't use we didn't do anything natural. Everything was just like love and everything the doctors gave him. I just found out about spirulina. I wonder if you could um, recommend some things that we could do. Spirulina is one of the most frightening foods on the planet. I would certainly not give it to anyone that I cared about, nor would I take it personally. Oh, wow. Okay. Every seaweed in the ocean is edible. There are no poisonous seaweeds. Almost every single blue-green algae is lethally poisonous. Oh, okay. There are a few blue-green algae which can be made safe to eat, but if you have ever bought it, then you will see that there is a shield on the side of the bottle saying that it's been tested and it will not kill you. Oh, wow. Okay. In Abundantly Well, page 131, don't buy it, blue-green algae. Analysis of blue-green algae, spirulina or chlorella, finds trivial amounts of vitamins, minerals, and amino acids. The highest dose has fewer vitamins than half a cup of broccoli. It has vitamin B12, but it cannot be absorbed by humans. A 2013 study found blue-green algae to have minimal effect on the elimination of any stored chemicals or toxins in the body. The euphoria that some people experience after ingesting spirulina or chlorella is due to algal nerve poisons, chemically related to but more dangerous than cocaine. 
In some blue-green algae, it is stronger than cyanide. Blue-green algae is renowned mm. for killing wildlife. Exposure causes negative health effects, including allergic reactions. Spirulina grows most abundantly in water contaminated with sewage and chemicals. This is pretty pricey pond scum. Drink nourishing herbal infusions instead. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, any recommendations for Parkinson's or just the, all the, like the ones you just mentioned, comfrey, oat straw, red clover? Rotate, rotate through those five nourishing herbal infusions. Okay. Um, check out um, check out adaptogens. I okay. think that there are some adaptogens. You know, I don't suggest that the only place to get information is from the internet, but it can be a good starting place. Yeah, can say something general like, "What herbs have been used by people who have Parkinson's?" Right. That'll give you that'll give you some place to look into, right? Right, definitely. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye. We'll just continue on with the questions, I suppose. Sure. Sure. All right. The next caller is coming from the six four six area code. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, my goodness. I get to ask a question. All right, so Susan, um, about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, I started getting these kind of skin lesions um, that kind of look like a little bit raised maroon color, kind of looks like a bruise, and they popped up like around my knee, the back of one knee, like around my hip area, around like underneath my armpits, um, and right on the right side of like you know, basically where the liver is, like right on that right side. So like, and um, not on my face, not on my back, not on my front. Like, so like my belly, the, the chest area, like there's nothing there, or my neck. But it's, I've counted and there's maybe about like 20 of them. I went to a dermatologist in August and they, get, they did a biopsy. And uh, where they did the biopsy, I feel like it just traumatized the skin because that one just became really big. And they basically came back and said that it's this diagnosis called granuloma annulare that that they in the scientific community consider it something that's idiopathic, like they don't know the cause of it, and so they don't know how to treat it. And they just gave me some steroid creams and said, be back in six months. And then I went to my primary, and he just said the same thing. He's like, let's test you for colon cancer. And I was like, um so I am just trying to find through something something deep in me is telling me like there is you know the alternative healing modalities is the way to go like something is going on so my mother who has no medical medical degree <laughs> and very pious simple woman she looked at me recently when I came to visit her and I showed her all my spots and she said Brenda I really think it's your liver I think you have a congested liver. I don't know where that came from from her, but it's gotten me to sort of read about, you know, the liver and the gallbladder. And so I don't know. I just, I'm really wanting to heal my, not just my skin, but whatever's going on on the inside that's creating this um, manifestation. Well, you know, there are so many liver-loving herbs that 
you can work with basically whatever pleases you. One of the biggest liver-loving herbs in the world is dandelion. And dandelion is possibly the world's most generous herb. Any part of dandelion picked any time and prepared in any way is a top-notch helper to the liver. Okay. So you can make your own dandelion or you can buy it already made. You can drink dandelion wine. You can take dandelion root tincture. Um, you can buy dandelion greens at the supermarket and cook them up. There's a great recipe for dandelion italiano in my childbearing yearbook. Um, you can get dandelion root and make an infusion of dandelion root or make a tea of dandelion root. You can get dandelion root, which is a coffee substitute. It all works to help the liver. When I was just getting interested in herbal medicine and helping people with herbal medicine, um, I decided that I needed the advice of my elders. And so I went to people over 60 in my community who were working as healers, and I had three or four questions that I asked them. And one of the things that I asked them was, if there was one thing that you would say to me about healing, what would that one thing be? And nine out of ten of them said, look to the liver. Wow. Something is going on and you don't know what's causing it. Look to the liver. It's not just in English that this organ is synonymous with being alive, right? The liver. Mm. Burdock root is another wonderful liver-loving herb. And burdock root... um, You mostly just use the root. You can buy it dried. You can buy it tinctured. You can make a tea of it. You can make an infusion of it. We dig our own burdock root, and we make burdock root vinegar. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) (laughs) Yay yay for the liver, right? Milk, thistle, all thistles. And both burdock and dandelion are in the thistle family, so they're all related, burdock and dandelion and thistle. And all thistles are liver-loving. But milk thistle, being a huge thistle, I've seen milk thistle leaves, oh, easily three feet long. It was? Three feet long milk thistle leaves. So this is why you hear only about milk thistle, because it's a big plant, and it makes a lot of seeds. But any thistle seed, in fact, any part of any thistle, is great for the liver. Okay. Right, but you've heard of milk milk thistle seed, and that's another remedy that you could buy is milk thistle seed tincture. It's used to help people who have um, cirrhosis or hepatitis. It's it's a fairly heavy heating thing to really help people who are in great liver distress. Wow. 
And uh, is there anything while I'm doing that that I should be – so if I'm doing the oat straw or, like, drinking the infusions in a given day, it's okay to do a tincture during the day as well of, like, to mix different. Certainly. But the like, idea is not to mix the herbs all together at once. Okay. So if I'm no, drinking – we don't want to mix herbs mm-hmm. together in an infusion. But you could Uh-oh. drink infusion and uh, at some other time take a tincture. It's not a problem. Okay. And okay. Just, um, is there anything topically that I could put on the the lesions themselves? Do they itch? The only one that has itched for me, and it's not all the time, but the one that's right, like over the liver area. That's the that's the last one that erupted in the fall, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. the only one that, from time to time, I find myself like wanting to itch it. Right. And other than that, you would want to put something on it simply to make them go away, not because they itch or pain you. Totally. 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 Understood. Well, (laughs) comfrey leaf infusion is a great healer for the skin. And after you make the comfrey leaf infusion, instead of throwing the leaves out, after you strain the infusion out, take the leaves and make little compresses. You can even chill them if you want to and make cold compresses if that feels good right on one or more of the spots so do you when you say make a compress i'm i literally am like this urban new york well i'm no longer in new york city but like none Uh of this stuff is make it make a little pancake of the herb material and put it on the bruised area oh okay and let it sit for how long as long as you can tolerate it five minutes or more Okay. And then a final question, and I, I want to just like, oh, you know, let other people come in. Is there anything dietary that I should be doing? Like I was just reading some other alternative stuff. Oh, and as we just, know, the liver has a hard time with alcohol, right? Yeah. So the less alcohol you drink, the happier your liver will be. Mm-hmm. The liver has to look at everything that's in the blood every hour. Every drop of blood in the body goes through the liver every hour. Mm. And the liver says, oh, you're good, you stay, see you later. Or the liver says, no, no, you're bad, we don't want you, you go to the kidneys and you get pissed out. Mm. Or the liver says, my, my, aren't you complicated? I'm busy now. Come back later, and I will deal with you. And those are called second pass substances. And that's a second pass detoxification. So the liver marks those things, and when they come back the second time, the liver sequesters them. And depending on what's happening... If the liver can take them apart, then they will be taken apart. But often these hormones can be taken apart, but often the chemicals are too complicated to be taken apart. So they get shunted off to fat storage. So the more chemicals there are in your diet, the more unpronounceable things in your food, the harder your liver has to work. Okay. 
So during the time when you're wanting to be as nice to your liver as possible, eating what many people call a clean diet. Yeah. With little or no processed food is a great way to go. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Thanks for your call. The next caller is coming from the 203 area code. Hello. Um, I, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Ask your question. Oh. Hi, Susan. I was curious to know about the plant um, peach leaf, if you've worked with that at all in regards to um, strengthening family ties, strengthening your tribal community, especially in regards to um, addiction, for example, like people trying to reconnect with themselves, um, things of that nature. I have never heard of anyone using peach leaf. You're talking about the leaf peach tree, yes? Yeah. And um, it sounds like a rather symbolic use, what you're talking about. Okay. And the thing about symbolism is if it works for you, then it works. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't about, work um, for you, then it doesn't okay. work. I don't think that, we ha- that we're looking at any inherent constituent in the leaves of a peach tree. I think we're looking at a symbolic value. Okay. I've primarily used it um, in a tea, in a uh-huh. tea form. Um in conjunction with other... All the leaves of members of the rose family are astringent. hmm So there's certainly nothing wrong with using it as a tea. There aren't, in general, poisonous members of the rose family, but they can be quite astringent. I remember when Eagle Fong served me some um, hawthorn leaf infusion that she had made that was so astringent, I didn't think I was going to get my mouth open for a month. okay that's funny so you know if it strengthens you know family ties by keeping the talkative people from talking then well that could perhaps work (laughs) that's funny um yeah i'd i'd heard it um i'd heard it being used in in a setting of of treating families who are experiencing addiction so something to give somebody who is trying to get sober, but it's also something that the whole family can take with them. Um, so, yeah, I guess I was just curious to know if you had any any plans in regards to people in recovery, like a detox phase or anything like that. But Peachtree was something that kind of stuck out for me. I didn't know if you knew about. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about strengthening the liver, and those would be the things that I would choose rather than Peachtree. Okay. Cool. And well, everyone benefits much. from strengthening their liver. None of the herbs that I talked about, burdock or dandelion or milk thistle, would be harmful to any member of the family, no matter how old or how young. All right. You might want to look. You might want to look up. Rebecca has something to add. You might want to look up some of Kiva Rose's writings, like on her blog. I know that she writes about peach leaf quite a bit. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay, great. Cool. Thank you very much. 
Yeah. All right. Bye now. And it looks like this might Green be our last. Bye bye. Looks our like last we have what, time for one more question. Yeah. So this caller is coming from the two zero seven area code. That's on liver tonic. Are you there in the two zero seven? I don't think they can hear us, so we'll go to the other. I don't. Other they can't either. Okay. Sounds like they have something else on. So this is coming. This caller is coming from the two or three two three area code. Three two three. Well, hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, I've been listening to you for quite a while. I met you many, many years ago at Grand Twilas in in uh, near Buffalo. Yes. Yes. And um, and I talked to you at that time and. You shared with me that you had something going on in New York, and I don't think it had manifested as the um, herbal uh, school at that point. But um, I've read your some your books, and I've kept up with you. And today I decided to call in, and I just wanted to greet you and uh, say hello after all these years, and also I did want to ask you a question, a health question. Okay. And I'm so glad to hear from you after all these years. What a delight. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So my health question is I'm having a bout of sciatica that's really uh, the most extreme that I've ever experienced. It does have something to do with uh, something pressing on the nerves. So um, I am uh, getting some chiropractic. I actually did get one adjustment already, and it helped for a, a minute. But I got I have to get some more. But uh, I wanted to get your recommendation. I know I have heard you mention comfrey and um, hypericum. And I'm going to jump in here because they usually cut us off right on time. These blog talk shows okay. do not get an extra second. I want to be sure to be able to, to answer you. Hypericum tincture. I was on my way down to New York City to teach at the Open Center, walking from my house to the car when I felt like somebody shot me in the hip, and there was this hot pain going from my hip to my ankle. Oh, and yeah. I yeah, oh boy, was that bad. <laughs> and um, I hobbled back in the house, got my bottle of Hypericum tincture. I took a full dropper full every 15 minutes on my drive to the city, which is 100 miles. By the time I got there and parked, I was able to walk five blocks from where I parked, walk up three flights of stairs, and stand for three hours and give a talk with no pain of any kind. Okay. Okay. So hypericum tincture, it's already been going on, so every 15 minutes is probably too close together at this point. That's really just as soon as it starts. But certainly a dropper full every hour, if you have access to that much of the tincture, um, for at least, you know, a day. And so you can really kick that pain back down. Okay. Hypericum goes directly into the nerve ending and stops the pain there. Okay. You can also use hypericum oil externally. 
Okay. Some people find that it gives more relief and that they like to rub the area and it feels good. Other people don't like to touch the area at all. Either way, it's fine. Sure. And with that, I'm going to say green blessings and good night. And green blessings and good night to everybody. And green blessings and thank you to Rebecca and to Justine and to all of the women of the Wise Woman team who helped me get the word out, get the word out about Abundantly Well and the Wise Woman Way of Healing Through Nourishing. Thank you to you all. Green blessings. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. God bless. Yes, peace, Susan. Good night. Good night. God is blessed. God is blessed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.